Um, okay, so we, uh, we've been working through some creative Bible study methods. Uh, this course has fit well with the series that I'm doing on the, on the weekends where I'm talking about now and forever life because uh, in that, um, I keep talking about the importance of developing some spiritual habits and how we need to unlearn some things in our life and we need to learn some new things. And so we have spent the last eight uh, Wednesdays that I've been here talking about how to study the Bible. We're on a little break from us going through the Bible um, chapter by chapter, which we've done for eight and a half years, because I wanted to do some of these sort of teachings. So we're talking about how to study the Bible. Now I think from here we're going to head into a little overview, again, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then maybe when I'm done with all of that, we'll pop back into our chapter by chapter study. But uh, I think it's important sometimes to talk about things like this. And, you know, my heart for you is, is my hope for you is that you read your Bibles and you study your Bibles and you enjoy that time and you do it on a daily basis. And that it becomes, um, you know, something that you look forward to, something that uh, isn't a chore, but it's, uh, it's an enjoyable thing. So we've, we've really talked about different ways of studying the Bible, and I think it's very helpful so that you, you take it to that level where... You know, the, the Bible's not like any other book. The Bible's alive, all right? It's illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And as a believer, with the Holy Spirit uh, living in you, the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word to you. And so it's, it's not like reading anything else. And it, it, each time we read it and get to it, there's opportunities for the Spirit to, to show us things uh, about what's going on there. And, and it's an amazing uh, part of life. It's such, a, such an exciting thing, and it can be. And, and so... You know, I, I don't want people to not embrace that. We, we sort of get pulled into so many different areas. And I think, you know, one of the biggest traps that we fall for is, is that the enemy doesn't want you to read the Bible. And I, I tell you this often, but the enemy, if he can keep you from reading the Bible and keep you from praying, he pretty much uh, sort of negates your impact on the world around us. Because it kind of takes you out of what we're called to, and, and the life that we're supposed to live, and that this is a this is an amazing life, and that's what I've been talking about on the weekend, and it's such an amazing life that, that there's an attraction to it that helps people find their way into the kingdom, and we'll talk more about that this weekend. But, you know, last last weekend, I, I, I went back and I tied creation and the exodus into mission and how it all fits together, and I, I think, you know, the Bible's like that. There's so much in there that we need to understand. Well, a, a, a very interesting way to study the Bible is called the typological, typological, pardon me, I got my, I got my emphasis on the wrong syllable. Did you like that? Typological method. And um, uh, th what that does is it, it lets us study the Bible by types. And um, that really sort of opens some things up as you're reading the scripture because of how fascinating the Bible is. So... Um, to do this kind of study, you sort of got to understand the meaning of the word type. And there's several verses in the Bible that kind of help explain what's going on. One of those words would be shadow uh, in Hebrews 10.1. It says that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So uh, there's, it's a shadow of good things to come. And, and, and shadow is a word that describes a biblical type. Um, a shadow is an exact outline. Although the details may be dim, 
and sometimes it contrasts the things that cast a shadow. So there's a lot going on, but, but uh, you know, I have a shadow right there and right there. And uh, the shadow looks like me, kind of, but it's not an exact representation of me, but, but you know, that's me. I'm not scared of my shadow, and uh, but some folks are. I don't know why I even said that. But anyway, when you read about a shadow, it's a type in the Bible. Another, another word is pattern, pattern, uh, which describes type, Romans 5.14. Uh, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. So um, Adam was a pattern of someone else who was to come. And, and, and the word there is, is like a type. Adam was a type of the Lord Jesus who was to come later. And so he was a type. He was a pattern, or some of your translations may say figure there. That's another one of those words that happens. Uh, another word that sort of is a type word is illustration. Hebrews 9, 8 and 9. The Holy Spirit was uh, showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. And so um, the offering of the sacrifices for sin in the Old Testament was a type of the final sacrifice for sin, which would be offered by Jesus in the New Testament. So it's an illustration of things. Copy is another word describing biblical types. Hebrews 8, 4, and 5. Uh, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest for... There are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned. Uh, this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And so, so those words that you, you see there: uh, shadow, copy, illustration, pattern, figure. Um, those are the words that contain the idea that we are, we're looking at when we talk about types in the Bible. So a type is a, is a person or a thing in the Bible that God used to represent some other person or other thing or an event that would appear in the future. It was a shadow, a copy, an illustration, or a pattern of what was to come. And so, so that's why when you start to read things in the Old Testament and you find out there, there are types of things to come, it, it's fascinating to watch what happens. You don't want to be careful, you know, about uh, not making theology out of these things, but allowing you to see how God was at work and it continues to be at work um, through the Holy Spirit in in uh, how He inspired the writing of the Bible and how much is going on in there that you can't sort of see at a cursory glance. You have to spend time um, reading and praying and asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate. The Bible. So, this kind of study then, a typological Bible study, we study a person or place or an event or a thing, um, and, and we study the thing of which it's a type. So we're looking at something that was, and we're comparing it to uh, what, it, what it was, you know, a type of what it was. And, and, uh, and so, when you, when you study like the life of a person, that life is important for what it was, but it also has a significant importance in uh, the other type that it might be relating to in the future. So um, types are sort of uh, physical pictures of spiritual realities. For example, we were singing a song today about lifting Jesus up. All right, back in uh, Numbers 21, 6 through 9, 
there, there was a time when the, the uh, children of Israel were being um, bitten and killed by bites of serpents, and they were, then there was a way that they were healed from that. Let me read you the story. This is an actual event. Numbers 21, 6 through 9. Uh, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And then when any was, anyone was bitten by a snake, looked at the bronze snake, he lived. So that tells an actual account of something that happened um, as a fallout from their sin and, and uh, how Moses prayed and God gave them this way for them to be recovered from the serpent's bite. And, and it's, a, it's a, something that John writes about in John 3, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So it's a picture of uh, the way that we're healed or made whole. Uh, salvation, sozo, is by believing, looking on and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ who was lifted up um, on our behalf at the cross, and as we look on and believe in him, we can be saved from the deadly effects of the enemy was at one point in the garden, what? A serpent. So there's, it's pretty cool, right? You start seeing types of things that are happening in the scripture. And you go, wow, that's pretty amazing that that's going on. So as you read the Bible, um, a lot of it is very clear right up front. I mean, so there are just some things that are very evident, and that's done on purpose, but there's other things that uh, sort of are illuminated over time. That's why I want to encourage you to spend more time on it and, uh, and really, you know, ask the Spirit of God to show you things that are going on in the Bible. And, and so uh, you have to sort of listen and dig into it. That's, you know, it's like uh, why Jesus taught in parables. People that were really listening and intent would understand them, but you know, you might miss over it. You might pass right over what was going on if you really weren't digging in. So I thought we would do a little type study together, and uh, we'll get you started. And I, I think it's a fascinating type, and maybe it's old hat to you, but maybe you haven't seen some of this before. But I want to look at the life of Joseph, Joseph, uh, and um, and show how he was a type of Jesus uh, and the events that happened. In their life. So if you have your Bible with you, or you want to grab one in a row, or uh, whatever, and I think I put some of the verses in there, but we're going to look at Genesis 37 and uh, 38 together. So the life of Joseph. Joseph is in the last sort of uh, 15 chapters or so of the book of Genesis, and uh, there's many events in his life that are that are a pattern of those that would be in the life. Of Jesus. So Joseph's life was very important in and of itself, but it was also a pattern of a, an even more amazing life that would become, and that's the life of the Lord Jesus. And so what I did on that little chart that's on the bottom of your um, paper there is, uh, is that I, I gave you the reference uh, uh, for Joseph, and then I gave you the, the thing that's happening, and then uh, on the very first line I gave you a reference uh, in the life of Jesus. But I, I didn't finish the rest of them, uh, and we'll talk through some of them. But my hope is you would sit down, and we'll talk about it, and you will go find the New Testament scripture 
that fits for the description that happens in the two lives, right? That's, so that's a, that's a typological study. That's what's going on is here's an event. I know about that event. Let me go find that event in the New Testament, and then we'll talk about it together. So pretty cool. So Genesis 37, let me just read you. Uh, I'll, I'll read you the first 10 verses, so we'll go talk about it. Uh, verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Uh, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word of him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Do you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bound down. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let me read a few more verses. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. And then he sent them off. From the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering on the fields and asked, uh, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for uh, my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? Well, they've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say the ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard of this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites. He took him down to Egypt. All right. So uh, I, I read some of that. Now, you could read that. It's a fascinating story in and of itself. And Joseph's life is a fascinating story. But there's some amazing comparisons that happen as you dig into that. So in verse 2, we find out that Joseph was a shepherd. So uh, how do we know that, that Jesus said about what about himself? He said, I, I am a shepherd, right? So, uh, so you have a comparison there in John 10, 11. And, and he's the great shepherd. He's the Lord. The Lord is our shepherd. Uh, and, and so we know what he's all about. We have a little comparison. Well, verse 3, we find out that, that Joseph was well beloved of his father. So 
I think they sung something about Jesus in there. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, my beloved son. You get it? So, so there's a reference in there. I didn't find it for you. You can find it. And uh, probably should find it and look it up. Uh, verse 4, we find out that Joseph was hated by his own brothers. So when Jesus comes, he's hated by the very people he's come for. His, his, his brothers in the tribe of Israel, all the Israelites, they, they, they mostly hate him. And they reject him in the process. Verse 8, so Joseph, uh, he says, hey, I'm, I'm supposed to be the guy in charge. And they reject his rulership. Well, there you go. Jesus comes and basically announces the same thing. And what happens? The ruling established, released. They just, I'm not going to have you. You don't fit the picture. Off you go. Verse 11, his father took notice of the future. So see, the future plan just as Mary did concerning Jesus. So they're both sort of led into something bigger than themselves, and they're, they're, they're initially, it's, you know, with, with uh, uh, you know, Joseph's dad, it's like, what, are we supposed to worship you? And, and yet, you know, he, he goes, no. Um, he gets that he needs to pay attention to what's going on. Verse 13, Joseph's father sends him to his brother. So we know that God sent Jesus for us. Um, and we know, verse 13, that he was willing to do his father's will. How about that? You know where that happened? Not, not my will, but yours be done? Okay. Uh, his brothers plotted against him. Well, okay. So the Pharisees plot against Jesus time after time after time, right? To, to take his life and to do that. Uh, verse 29. Um, with Jesus, there was a sort of leader who tried to find a way to deliver him, and that was Pilate. He was trying to find a way out, but couldn't, remember? Um, Reuben is kind of a leader there. He's trying to find a way out for uh, Joseph, but he, he, you know, he, he doesn't think he can make it happen. Verse uh, 23, uh, he was stripped of his beautiful robe. Remember what happens to Jesus when he's crucified? They take his, and they make, make a point about the garment that he was wearing was like one piece and they cast lots for it, um, but they've taken it from him. Uh, he was, uh, Joseph was sold for silver. You know somebody else that was sold out for silver? How about this? He was sold out by Judah in the Greek. That name means Judas. Right? So now people, so, so the, these are types, right? Yeah, and people, oh, what a coincidence. It wasn't a coincidence at all. These are types of things that happen, and, and, do you remember last week in the in the when I was if you were here Sunday, on the weekend, there was a point in time when when all of a sudden the lights went off for the disciples and it was after the resurrection and all of a sudden everything that that Jesus had been saying and all the scripture that they knew because they knew the Old Testament scripture all of a sudden it came to life for them because it made sense because Jesus had said I'm the temple that you were waiting for. And all of a sudden, it all pointed to them. They were like, oh, that's what's going on. And it all began to make sense. Well, these are the things that were happening. Um, if we keep writing on in, in chapter 39, verse 2, uh, Joseph becomes a servant. What did Jesus say he was and would be? A servant. Uh, if you read the story, uh, Joseph resists temptation uh, when Potiphar's wife is coming after him. And, and he does the right thing. And... Uh, he, he, so he resists temptation there. With Jesus, we know he was tempted but never sinned. Um, we don't, can't say that about Joseph, but we know that Jesus, that was true. Um, then, then he's condemned by false witnesses. 
How about that? That happens to Jesus too, right? They find some witnesses who come and lie about him. In. Uh, verse 20, he suffers even though he's innocent. Joseph does. So does Jesus. How about, here's very interesting. He's in prison uh, and he's actually with two sinners in his suffering while he's in prison. You remember the story? There's the, the cupbearer and the, uh, the, the baker. Uh, that's right, right? Uh, or I get my rhyme in the head with the blackberries, and the, but that's not it, and the pies and the birds. Two sinners. Of the two sinners that he's with in prison, one is delivered and one isn't. Hello. Remember the crucifix? Two other guys. One comes and one don't. Uh, he, he comes up, in effect, out of the grave of prison. Joseph does and rises into this position. Uh, at the time, Joseph saves the world from death by being the one that had the, the way to make that happen, by sparing the, the sort of known world from famine, by making preparations as the Lord led him to, to, uh, to make that happen. Uh, his brothers, chapter 47, gain access to the king through him. Chapter 50, he shows a forgiving spirit. Man, does he. He gives all his brothers to toss them in the pit. But Jesus forgives them. Father forgives them. So they don't know what they're doing. All right, so that is a sort of an example of a typological study. There are lots of types in the Bible. And the, and the Bible, and they make for fascinating studies. Um, and you begin to see things that are happening that aren't coincidence. They're there on purpose. And, and there's a lot of stuff that, um, as we read through the Old Testament in particular, that, that just sparks off and we begin to understand how it was there. And that God put it there on purpose so that, that when Jesus came, people would see it. I know, you know, we've had that discussion here. We've looked at all the feasts and how they're all pointing to Jesus and how he fulfills them perfectly. Uh, and, and he's fulfilled four out of the seven. But, uh, but he'll fill the other three when he comes back. But, but they're perfect pictures of what's going to take place if we're aware of them and we're looking for them. And so, I, you know, I, I just want to encourage you to continue to press in. Uh, read your word, study your word, do all the different little studies that we've been talking about so that you gain an appreciation for it and it becomes something you look forward to. That, that it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing book. And it's worth your time um, because all this stuff is running through it. And it's fascinating when you, get, when you begin to see it. It's like uncovering yourself too. So, that's good enough for today. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and visit us when you can. We'll see you soon. And uh, there you go. All right, if you have prayer requests, pass them out to me. I'll pray for you, and then we'll call it an evening.